Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, currently stationed back in Hawaii for a few months to soak up these healing waves the islands provide and study yoga with Eddie. I am so excited about this new episode of Yoga Revealed as I introduce to you Nataraj Kalio, a man who has walked the path of yoga in many lifetimes and is currently taking the head of the spear at Naropa University in Boulder, Colorado. He is leading an undergraduate program for those who are ready to take a deeper dive into yoga. If you are ready to plunge into the infinite layers of yoga and the timeless wisdom this practice has to offer, this episode is for you. Thank you to our sponsor, Purium, who makes the highest quality organic non-GMO superfoods and CBD products. Everything is grown with love and intention and harvested at peak nutrition, dehydrated raw and living at 60 degrees Fahrenheit and tested down to the molecular level. Instead of buying your superfoods and CBDs from the stores, get them from your Yoga Revealed family by going to ishoppurium.com and use our code ALECLOVELIFEYOGA and you will get $50 or 25% off your order of $75 or more and you'll be supporting the podcast and the work we do at a collective level. Enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast and stay tuned to learn more about how you can obtain an undergraduate degree in yoga from Naropa University. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Vishal Rubin, and I'm so grateful to be here in this moment, connected through the wisdom and the lens of yoga with you. And today, it is super exciting for me to be sitting in a revered and esteemed university in Boulder, Colorado, which is Naropa. And I am sitting across from a beautiful man who I've just met, but I've heard his name over the last years of being in Boulder and diving deeper into my own practice, Nataraj Kalio. 
So nice to meet you, man. And thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule as you teach so many incredible people a new facet of yoga that I don't think most of the modern world is really catching hold of. What you're doing here is, I think, very unique and very special. And I'm excited to dive in and hear more about your life. Awesome. Thank you, Alan. Yeah, yeah. thank you, brother. So, I, I, you know, one of the first questions that I ask a lot of people mm-hmm. on this podcast, whether we know them or I don't know them, mm-hmm. is how did yoga first reveal itself to you? That's a long story. <laughs> well, we got but, time. But the the shorter version of it um, is that I was born into, I would say, the honeymoon phase of yoga's globalization. I was mm. born into a Hindu community in the West, thus the Sanskrit name and uh, raised in a very, uh, I think, non-typically Western uh, fashion. So it was a community that was centered around a very charismatic, brilliant uh, Indian teacher that at some point in the journey uh, crashed and burned Mm. um, through not an uncommon story of megalomania and abuse. Mm. Yeah, so I think... I was simultaneously born into a yoga tradition and made viscerally aware of, um, you know, kind of long psychological dynamics that have infused every tradition, namely the transference of um, power and authority to a teacher that may be infallible, that might be infallible, imbuing that teacher with greater power and perfection than they may actually hold, and the teacher in turn. Um, perhaps enjoying that or wanting to bolster that by engaging in ways that uh, engendered that perception. And so at some point, the community um, shattered. And, Mm. you know, people that had come together in the community quite often often divorced. And the, the sobering reality of how many assumptions and myths and projections on the teacher were never checked and um, critiqued uh, left a lot of those students, my parents' generation, uh, quite quite uh, hurt for mm. quite a while as they kind of reassessed what is spiritual spirituality, what is the role of the guru and the student and... This, you know, lasted through my adolescence and then finally the whole community collapsed and there I was at 18, family divorced and a lot of death in my kind of world and I'd never left the shire of my home. Mm. So rather than go to college, I decided to travel (coughs) and I ended up in Bali. Um, I'd worked through high school, so I'd earned $3,000 and I had such an amazing time, not just being in Bali, just being outside of like the chaos of the environment I was raised in. Um, that I decided to keep going. And I ended up in Nepal, where unbeknownst mm. to me, I overstayed my visa by 40 days. Because <laughs> when they stamped the visa in Thailand, it's the three smudged into an eight, so I thought I had 80 days. And I only realized this when I was way up in the Annapurna oh Mountains. <laughs> and being 18 years old, I thought, you know, rather than ask my parents for help or explain it to immigration authorities, I thought, I'll sneak out of Nepal. <laughs> so there so there I make my great escape in December of 91 or 90 and uh 
there's only one legitimate place I could go. That was India. So without some noble aspiration to study yoga or um, to pursue dharma, mm. I was just trying to get away from immig immigration authorities. I got caught. I, uh, I bribed my way at the border out. Oh my gosh. And that was my noble entrance into India. Wow. So there I arrived in Varanasi and to make kind of a, then a eight year story shorter, I, um, I in a sense encountered the teachings of yoga anew rather mm. than kind of what I inherited in my fam familial upbringing, um, kind of sitting there with my own kind of existential angst, my own sense of loss, my own sense of confusion. I began to encounter these teachings um, initially through Ramana Maharshi, like the Jnana Yoga contemplation and Bhakti Yoga of Ramakrishna, um, that began to bring the tradition and the practice alive for me for the first time. Not in one that was given to me, but the one I began to find incredible longing for in my own heart. I remember sitting there as I looked at you know, my own mind as if for the first time and realized soberingly that, you know, I'm pretty much having the same damn boring conversation all the time. And these teachings that begin to redirect attention from this kind of almost um, counterfeit center of consciousness, you know, always being in my conceptual mind of fears and hopes and desires, reorienting to a different possibility of a level of being that is the fundamental substratum of everything, you know, that I amness that is always there, that is always the fundamental ground of every experience. And through that began this kind of deep love of Dharma, both in Buddhism, I began to study in the Vajrayana and within the many yogas of India. And so this whole process began of working and getting back to India to study, working, getting back to India to study. And that kind of took up pretty much all of my early adulthood. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And so upon making this pilgrimage back and forth to get the charge right. and to get the transmission and then come back to the States for whatever reason, because mm -hmm. I get it mm -hmm. to some extent. I've done a lot of travels mm -hmm. and back and forth mm -hmm. and go back and got to come here and build the funds back up. Mm -hmm. When did you find that you wanted to share it in a different way that wasn't so much teaching weekly classes? Because here you are, you're a professor at this mm -hmm. university. Like, can you dive into that facet of the story? Yeah. I mean, my love of yoga, um, I think, began with the kind of the, the inner meditative and contemplative traditions of yoga. The asana kind of piece actually came a bit later. Mm. Um, but I discovered, I was in a retreat with um, a lama up in Nepal, and I walked in, used to being the only kind of gringo in a lot of these situations, and there was like 15 young American kids. I said, where are you all from? And they said, Naropa University. I said, what's that? I said, they said, it was a university in the United States. I said, wait, you're getting credit for this? <laughs> so it planted a seed and, you know, years later I ended up here and, um, wow. you know, received a, a, 
position teaching yoga here. This is the only undergraduate yoga studies program in uh, the in United America. States. Yeah. Possibly the world, at least at an undergraduate level. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think what so attracted me to this is that, um, you know, Naropa's steeped in this aspiration to join the scholar and the practitioner which is kind of a taboo in traditional academia where the two need to be separated lest you lose objectivity. But Naropa <clears throat> is a place that really holds the value both for academic learning but also experiential learning. Um, the namesake of this university mm -hmm. goes back to a, a great siddha in India named Naropa who was at the time mm. the abbot of Nalanda University which was like the Harvard or Oxford of the world, where people from all over, from Greece to China to Tibet, would come to study um, theology, ling linguistics, um, uh, religious studies, astronomy. Um, and he was this towering intellect. And the story goes that one day he's in his study um, reading various books on, on philosophy and the goddess appears, but in the form of what was described as, as a hag with 37 ugly features, each detailed <laughs> precisely in the text, from lumpy warts to rotten teeth to uh, crooks all over her body, right? And she, in a penetrating moment, says, Naropa, do you understand the words or the meaning? And Naropa says, I understand the words, to which she starts dancing ecstatically. But then he corrects, and I understand the meaning, and she starts sobbing. He says, why were you so happy and now you're so sad? Because when you said you understood the words, you were telling the truth. But when you said you understood the meaning, you lied. Right? Mm. And the being sincere, those words really cut deep in Naropa, and... He actually abandoned the most prestigious position you could want in India at the time and began this quest of, of self-discovery, of self-realization. And so he kind of, he was the kind of the archetype chosen for the name of this university because at the end he held both the deep understanding, the academic inquiry, mm. but also the full blossoming of realization. <clears throat> I really love what you said about practice and academia. Yeah. Not so, not not converging at the rate or at the depth of what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, for me, I, I really resonate with that because mm -hmm. I, I dove so deep. I mean, this upcoming April will be my eighth, quote unquote, 200, 300, 500, whatever hour mm -hmm. immersion that mm -hmm. I've invested my time and my money and my energy in over the last eight years. And mm -hmm. at the seventh one, I was like, man, I, I, need, diff I need something else. Mm. Because I'm getting so much of the similar things within the asana right. from whatever senior teacher I'm diving and choosing to study from that I respect. I right. want something different. Right. And I, I looked at Naropa mm -hmm. and I found SOAS, SOAS University. Oh, yeah. right. And, you know, I finished this podcast. People, they, they mm -hmm. know this whole journey of mine. Yeah. I, I finished this eight-month journey of living it in London yeah. and completing this um, really intense Yeah experience like yeah. it was so strict in academia you know so as is oxford's sister school and it, it was really radical man <laughs> there was no practical application it was all theoretical yeah. and it, i got what i wanted right. <laughs> i 
I totally got what I wanted, only to realize that that harsh swing of the pendulum is not where I reside. I want to find the middle line and how I study and receive mm. and transmit in the same light. So it's so cool to hear mm. that what you're doing here has found a, a balance of the pendulum swing, you know? Cool. So I'd love to hear, you know, in light of this program, it's the fourth year this program's been on? The yoga program? No, the yoga program's actually been here for... Um, over 20 years 20 years but you're right the it was the curriculum was redesigned overhauled about okay. 10 years ago okay. to include um a much more robust curriculum a teacher training cool and a solid degree program yeah well, give us a little download yeah. you know I, yeah. I i feel like I, here give us a download of this and mm-hmm. share to the listeners of this podcast like who's fit for this program I think anyone that has the aspiration to to both experientially and cognitively dive deep into what yoga is about. And I use the term honeymoon phrase, phase for, you know, the culture I was born into, early Western yoga. But I think the honeymoon phase kind of in global yoga is kind of coming to an end because now there's, whether it's through the Me Too movement, or through um, a deep examination of old archetypes regarding authority and teacher and student that are showing themselves to be to have cracks, if not um, lend to tremendous abuse. There's a lot of examination, both academically and experientially, that's happening right now in the field of yoga studies. And so I think it's actually an incredibly rich time to come to this practice um, because there are questions being asked that haven't been asked for a long time. Um, there are myths that are being challenged that I think we've held, I certainly held, for years in approaching yoga. Whether mm-hmm. it's the inviolate antiquity of asana that must go back to like these vinyasa styles, for example. Um, uh, certain assumptions regarding the roots of yoga and the transmission of yoga. And also, not to mention the incredible sparks that arise when these Eastern traditions come into conversation with psychology, with science, um, with kind of critical postmodern social uh, theories. Um, so I think the, the, the gift that we have the opportunity to do and aspire for at Naropa is to, with eyes wide open, mm. Um, engage in this practice not from forced belief or inherited faith but truly meet it as both aspiring scholar in other words to see things as they are to the degree we can and but in that not negate the heart of the practitioner the longing of our own desire to know and how yoga can support and facilitate that as well so I think if you have that inclination to hold both those aspirations, um, this program may be of use. Beautiful. Yeah, or inspiration. Yeah. I love that. Can you tell us about the, um, the modules or the facets of this program, the duration? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, what are, what, are, what, are, what are we getting? So I think, I think one of the, the opportunities is because we have a certain amount of time, um, two to four years, we're able to do a a level of dive into both 
the history and philosophy of the tradition and the practice that is needed. Yeah, just because it's, you know, as I often share, is like we're, we're diving into the oldest, longest literate tradition on the planet. Not necessarily the oldest, and of course not the only literate, not, only, not the longest, but those together. It's, a, it's, it's an incredibly rich tradition that is not monolithic. In other words, yoga is actually an umbrella for many different traditions. So we look at all of them to the degree we can within our two to four years mm-hmm. from its first formations and the kind of the, the shramana, early forest dweller mm-hmm. uh, culture to through the Upanishads and Yoga Sutras to then this kind of radical revolution that was the Tantra and from which emerged the Hatha Yoga that I think more informs what we commonly know as yoga now, probably even more so than classical yoga of Patanjali. Um, so we almost chronologically take a dive into these different facets of the yoga tradition, as well as then conjoining that academic study with a whole experiential journey. So Yoga One, for example, looks at the foundations, both philosophically of classical yoga via the Yoga Sutras and the foundations of asana, pranayama, and meditation practice. And then that develops more and more chronologically to integrate integrate the texts of the Tantra and the Hatha Yoga and um, do an equal dive both into the asana as well as pranayama meditation, Ayurveda, and the many different facets that make up a holistic yoga practice. But certainly, um, I think the central through line (coughs) is the contemplative meditative tradition that has been the heart and soul of yoga since its inception and maybe the one kind of through line that has been common to all of the yoga traditions. And are you the sole teacher for the entire entire module? Oh, heavens no. Yes. (laughs) No, we have, we have about six different teachers. Beautiful. Yeah. We have a wonderful new, um, uh, scholar, Ben Williams, who teaches a lot of the Sanskrit and the history and philosophy courses. And we have other great Hatha yoga teachers. Amazing. Well. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you so much. Yeah. I think it's um, it's beautiful. I remember when I took my first training at good old Corpara Yoga mm-hmm. that I was mm-hmm. soon going to expand very quickly out of the very small sandbox right. that um, brought me to yoga mm-hmm. and to see this expansive right. mountain yeah. and to even still be at the foothills of this mountain and yeah. look up in awe of how much there is to receive and Beautiful. integrate and learn. Yeah. And I mean, through the, the several trainings and this journey in London and mm-hmm. to, you know, just, just hear yeah. and, and read so much and how much more there is still to learn again and again over and over. And I think if you can have like that beautiful heart of studentship, you just express so beautifully. If you have, if you have that, then the joy is not in getting to some final destination of all knowing. It's like, wow, it's continuously revealing more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And what a joy, you know, that to to have that heart of a student, I feel as much of a learner now as I did 30 years ago. Yeah. Cause it's that vast. And it's, it's also really special. You know, I, I remember for years I had been manifesting mm-hmm. like, this teacher. I'm like looking for this teacher to, to share with me and take me under their wing. And, you know, then Eddie came along, mm-hmm. Eddie Modestini. Mm-hmm. And, and um, to see how much he has integrated and learned just 
on a personal mm-hmm. level in his relationship. I heard one of my friends, um, you know, say a great teacher. Um, we can really not judge in a negative way, mm-hmm. but to find a sense of observation in how someone is living their life and integrating their practice based upon how they are in relationship with themselves, with their partners, with when chaos comes through, when maybe a good opportunity to react is actually met with conscious response. How is your practice truly based upon your relationship? You know, I think one of the greatest teachings I took away into my life through Mm. Richard Freeman was yoga is relationship, you know? And so it's, it's, um, I found a lot of that in, in, these books i mean you've you've been able to study like all of these books i'm just inspired so much of being in your office and seeing all these books that i'm sure have different pages and facets in your brain cells and in your heart cells yes but as long as long as they keep landing in in what in our lived experience then the books are useful but right if they just make us more conceptually sharp then mm-hmm. they have their limitations but and i think that's why this tradition is so rich is that as much as it mm-hmm. offers some of the most profound um, kind of insight into the nature of our our beings, the actual practice is utterly mm-hmm. this moment again and again and again, mm-hmm. arriving mm-hmm. into that clarity, that depth of heart, so we can meet this world in clear relationship, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's also a beauty of, I mean, one of the things I think the yoga tradition, because whenever a tradition travels, it's stretched, you know, it's, it's affected by the values of the cultures it arrives in for good and ill. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have yoga to help work with PTSD and mm-hmm. stress and anxiety, mm-hmm. as well as naked disco yoga. So I mean, it's, a whole, <laughs> it's a whole spectrum, right. Yes. That when a tradition <laughs> travels, but now we're being forced to engage levels of, of concern and relationship that weren't prominent 20 years ago, or I mean, 200 years ago, like the world is burning. Right. And if, if we can't also engage that relationship, where's the, where's the real potency in the practice? So, um, so here's a question on a collective consciousness level. Mm -hmm. What do you believe yoga is seeking to help us remember to teach us? That's a big That's question. That's a big question. I <laughs> Most know. likely way over my pay grade. <laughs> but I can speak, you know, per- personally. Soul grade. Personally. Um, it's interesting because I took to this practice, um, I think, with a very ascetic mindset. I think for quite a while I was using the mm. practice to actually avoid a lot of uh, complexities of my own life. Right? I was... Mm doing months and months of retreat. And it wasn't until I met a very skillful mentor, a yogini from South India, who became very curious, almost to very uncomfortable degrees, about all the ways I was using practice to avoid certain aspects of being and of relationship. Mm. Um, And she was a student of Sri Aurobindo, who had this very integral model of yoga, that yoga, to be successful, should leave nothing out. It should, it should engage every facet of our life rather than be something that's decoupled from our relationships, from our cultural, ecological, societal responsibilities. It should be something that informs every facet that is our humanity. 
So for me, I think where I am now is, is, um, not cloistering yoga to just be something that is in the solitude of my meditation room or on the mat, but something that, um, engages all of my life, mm. you know? And I think that's a sentiment that's shared more and more as, as yoga meets the world. Mm. Letting that settle. Yeah. <laughs> that was really beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Thank you for walking in beauty and creating a beautiful uh, alignment of what yoga is teaching each individual and converging that to meet this burning world that we are in mm-hmm. with as much love and respect and and uh, servant leadership. Yeah. It's really beautiful to to see you in this space of of how how you're creating a a impact for others to also walk through example and knowing that you're human. We all make mistakes. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. do. (laughs) My family reminds me of that almost daily. (laughs) I'm sure. (laughs) I'm sure. So you'd said earlier, you know, um, you had your birth into this. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you, I I was not Mm -hmm. in a family light. I know I've walked Mm -hmm. yoga in many lifetimes. Mm -hmm. And you'd said something about, you know, what is spirituality and, and what is yoga? And mm-hmm. I'd love for you to answer those very strong, mm-hmm. deep questions. Mm-hmm. What is spirituality? Uh, what is spirituality to you? Mm-hmm. And what is yoga to you? Mm-hmm. Knowing that I could have asked you both of those questions yeah. a year ago and five years mm-hmm. ago when the answer would be so vastly different yeah. just as it would be probably next week. Yeah. Well, I think those questions bring us also right into the the both the experiential and the philosophical understanding of yoga too because there are there are so many different yoga traditions that debate and disagree on many different things but if there's any through line through all of yoga's many manifestations it's probably i think speaks right to the heart of what is spirituality and that is this gesture of waking up to who and what we are right mm-hmm. waking up to the nature of reality. Mm. So we would, you know, spiritual is called enlightenment or spiritual awakening, but it's beyond our concepts, our self-images, our um, many inherited beliefs and ideas and concepts. Fundamentally, what is the essence of our nature? I think that is the heart of all yoga and spirituality. Um, I think concurrent with that, you've heard this term mukti, of course, which is liberation. So it's like the other facet of that gesture, which is um, deconstructing or being liberated from all of the causes of our ignorance, right? The causes of our suffering, the causes that bind us to an incomplete understanding of who and what we are. And ontologically, philosophically, traditions will debate about the process and kind of the nuance of what is beingness. But I think those are the that is the heart gesture of yoga and spirituality. Mm. In 
And in coming back to a remembrance of our internal essence, mm-hmm. that which you know never left, mm-hmm. never leaves, yet we forget mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. What in your life, personally, when you've forgotten and uh, mm-hmm. life's happening mm-hmm. for us, not to us, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's the perspective yeah. shift yeah. of the keyhole. Um, what, what do you have to reflect upon when you've forgotten that inner light in your life? Well, I mean, it's, it, I think Ramakrishna had this analogy that once you've tasted honey, you know, you 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 lose the um, the taste for like sugar, mm. right? So I think one of the gifts of practice and being in good relationship with mentors is you'll have that taste, you'll have that taste of of that quality of openness, that quality of presence that is unmistakable, right? Because it's free from all of the flotsam and jetsam of our mind that usually causes so much suffering. So once you've had a taste, an introduction, a pointing out, a sense of that vast beingness that is the substratum of everything from the yogic perspective, right? When you lose it, it's more acute. Mm. Or when you fail to recognize that. Or when you... When you when you're not allowing that to inform your actions with others because the, the suffering is more acute, right? Because you've tasted, you've experienced alignment. So misalignment becomes ever more sharp. Mm. Um, so I think it's the gift of suffering mm. is when you really feel the full raft of, of struggle and tension and afflictive emotion arising. It's, it's the teacher, right? Mm. Okay, so... How can we see where we've been caught by the play? Yeah. Mm. The Maya. And the Maya, yeah. Yeah. But again, this is this is this is what's so fascinating the kind of the yoga journey is early early yoga was kind of following a what has been likened to an exit strategy. The practice was to get ourselves off the wheel, some nirvana to extinguish or to be liberated from any tether to life. We find in these later developments of yoga, by later I still mean like 1,500 years ago, mm. but um, kind of a radical re-envisioning of the path, not as a process of extricating ourselves from life, but finding that awakening, that awakened heart within the full turmoil, the full complexity of our human experience. So it's very much allied with a lot of the, the alchemical traditions of the world, which was how do we... How do we make something valuable? How do we discover something valuable out of that which is dense, Mm. right? So how do we actually find in wisdom within the fecund material of our body, our subtle body and our mind, our emotions, right? So they were in a sense kind of reintegrated back onto the path, right? And I wonder, do you feel like the the download that you just channeled through Mm. so clearly is uh, very much congruent with being in the Kali Yuga of where we are now. And for those who are like, what's that? Yeah. (laughs) Can you share? So yes, the Yugas speak to these different phases of, of life from, from phases of, of heightened wisdom Mm. and truth to Mm. heightened ignorance and, 
for good or ill, we happen to be in the heart of the, uh, <laughs> you don't need to look far to get verification of that one, right? <laughs> of ignorance. But I have to check the source of this, but I'd often heard that um, it was said that for as much of the challenge that is the Kali Yuga, it is also the greatest gift for the analogy my teacher would say is for in the, Kali, in the Satya Yuga, the age of wisdom, for every step you take towards God, God takes one step towards you. In the mm. Kali Yuga, for one step towards God, God comes rushing towards you ten steps. In other words, in a time of truth and balance, it's not a great heroic gesture to do or act in a way that's of Dharma or or authentic, mm. right? Because that's, that's the baseline. Mm. But in a time where you see that those that really hold that are crucified, assassinated, or... Um, cast away, right? All the more karmic merit and heroic spirit to act in a way of dharma. Mm. So it's actually the most awesome time for practice, yeah, and embodiment of practice because the forces that be quite often are pushing the other way, yeah, to, to stay in conventional or habitual thinking that is more about self-aggrandizement um, and satisfaction of me and my current generation without any thought of the generations to come, right? Mm. So it's the richest time for practice and the most challenging. Right. Yeah. But mm. it's not a concept. You have, we have, we're, it's every, every week. It's okay. we see the evidence that actually we have triggered the sixth extinction, right? Yeah. Like not, not only even in my kids' lifetime, but very much in our own lifetimes. Where we could see a level, we are seeing a level of cataclysm and um, effect of our actions that is unmistakable. Yeah. So Kali Yuga is here is. in our face. It is. <laughs> feel that it's, um, you know, it's... Uh, in light of the the, the 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 we can't mistaken the actions that we as a species have made, mm -hmm. I feel that that's one of the greatest things yoga has taught me mm -hmm. is how to in, own myself mm -hmm. and how to own my story and uh, empower myself and to own when I've been at fault. Mm -hmm. I feel that yoga brought me into a state of confidence, mm -hmm. coming to yoga without any confidence mm -hmm. in myself or in mm -hmm. my body, mm -hmm. and then being humbled mm -hmm. deeply by injury mm -hmm. and uh, being able to step into a new state of humility mm -hmm. and respect and awe for um, knowing how to speak my own truth. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I like what you said, and just where I'm mistaken, where I've been at fault, and where I can respect mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the greatest things that yoga has taught me. And um, I imagine that there's a lot of um, things that we as a planet can own that's not being owned. Well, we'll have to, whether we want to or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I wonder for you, you know, it's it's um it's it's cool. I've been in I've been in my professor's office in SOAS and saw mm -hmm. all the books and mm -hmm. I was there on different different assignment huh? <laughs> at the time. Yeah. And I'm wondering for you, you know, what are you what are you researching now? What are you exploring exploring in your own um, studies? Mm, great question. That that is um, 
particularly heightened right now because we're in the process of uh, getting near the launch of a master's program in both yoga studies um, and yoga therapy. Wow. So the yoga studies track is going to be more of the academic scholarly dive. So deep dive into Sanskrit and the whole, again, arc of the philosophy of tradition really is a preparation for PhD work in religious studies or is just complementary work for those people that just love to know more about yoga's history and philosophy. But also yoga therapy, which is really um, looking and training students in the way, all the ways that these practices can be of benefit in very secular situations. So working with all sorts of uh, afflictions from physical to psychological. Um, so that is really up in my own study right now. Cool. Because um, we're doing curriculum design, what will be the kind of the curricular centerpieces of both tracks, and then soon to begin faculty search for bringing in faculty to kind of anchor these two programs. So that's currently what is my it. research. But also, you know, it's you know, it's just the amount of scholarship that's emerging regarding yoga studies is just burgeoning right now. So continuously looking at the research that's coming forth, including from the wonderful central professor at SOAS, Jim Mallinson. He just came out with a book called that's Roots of Yoga. Very Great fan, book. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Formed a lot of my essays. Yeah, right. I got to listen to him talk. It's yeah, really cool. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's that's where my current reading is. Awesome. Yeah, yeah it's a good book. Yeah. And then um, I'm blanking on who Jim co-wrote that with. He wrote it with someone else. I'm blanking on his name. But anyways, that's really, I, I love what you said. And so here's, here's something I got a prompt for you. Yeah. Because you prompt your students a lot. Yeah. And I'd like to see what you would explain to this. Because I've really dove into um, this over the last three years very um critically within my own mm. experience and as I said owning myself and and owning my experience and tapping into my own internal navigation and how I can integrate my yoga into every walk in my life mm. so can you explore and experiment upon this statement yoga as a self-reliant healing system mm. Eddie says that a lot mm. I'm particularly struck by the term self-reliant because I think the heart task or role of any teacher worth their salt is to make the student self-reliant. And by that, I mean capital S self, yes, right? Yes. <laughs> Not self-absorbed, yes, capital yes. S, self, <laughs> self-referential, yes. self-referential. I think what often happens is um, that inner compass gets displaced upon someone else, you know. Mm-hmm. And for actually for you know periods of time, that's useful. If it's a really wise teacher, it can be helpful to really garner their insight, their reflection, their mirror. Um, but the ultimate charge of teacher and the process of yoga is to make us practitioners, us students self-referential, self-reliant in the sense that the gift of the practice is to ultimately anchor ourselves in our innate wisdom, our innate knowing, our innate intelligence 
somatically, energetically, psychologically, spiritually. Mm. So I think you just, you just nailed the mm. the kind of the, the fruition of the practice right mm. there. Mm. You know, one thing um, Eddie said it, and I agree with it. If there's ever a teacher that's saying, I did that mm. and I helped you, you I, mm. I healed you. Mm. You need to walk the other yeah. way. You need to run the other way, yeah. like right away. Yeah. Well, it's also, I mean, this was in a conversation recently, but it's fascinating that we've created more styles of yoga in the last 50 years than the previous two and a half thousand years. It's, be, it's become a culture of such deep personalization of the practice. You know, I add a little something, something, and it's Nataraj yoga, mm -hmm. which I can even copyright if I want it, because it's already been copyrighted. <laughs> but, you know, this tradition is actually, um, it's interesting, because the giants of this tradition almost left no record of their own lives or their own impression. At most, they said they were just humble heirs of a tradition that long precedes them. And the so the Indian mind of early yoga, it's, innovation was seen as far less valuable than being an accurate or clear conduit of a, a timeless wisdom mm. that far exceeds our personalization of it. So it's just a cultural uh, dynamic that's very fascinating right now to see how we, uh, like in Yoga Alliance, there's like a thousand different styles of yoga you can pick from that have been copyrighted. And I was, when I saw that, my jaw dropped because, you know. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah, yeah. So where do you feel like, where are we going? Where's yoga going right now? On, Of course, we could say, where, where are you going? Where am I going? Mm. Where are the ones that you are mm -hmm. supporting and sharing this wisdom, this timeless wisdom mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. as a collective and mm. in the world mm. in the light of yoga mm. where do you feel like we're going it's scary and it's it's intense i, I want to hold shraddha i want to uh, hold the faith yeah no i mean i'm i'm actually always enlivened by the deepening of the conversation for as much as there's rampant materialization mm -hmm. of yoga sure. and appropriation and colonization there's also a broadening dialogue and investigation and engagement that I think has actually also resuscitated the tradition um, and brought a level of inquiry and engagement that is very important. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there, there are timeless dimensions to the tradition that will always be there because they're speaking to a timeless dimension of reality. Um, and then there are relative aspects of the practice, too, that are continuously shape-shifting and broadening and being challenged. Um, so I'm actually deeply excited by, mm. by where yoga is now mm. um, from so many different angles. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Love that. What advice would you have for someone who... Feels maybe a little on a plateau, mm -hmm. but wants to dive a little deeper. Mm -hmm. what, what advice would you offer to them? Well, I think a lot of, I think a lot of folks are experiencing the asana plateau, right? Um, and 
no matter what brought us into yoga, even if it was just for stress relief or physical culture, quite often, at some point, there's this curiosity or this longing, but what else, what else, you know, is here in this tradition? Um, and that, I think, is the clue or the the guidance that takes us into the heart of yoga, mm. which is this deep inquiry into the nature of being, mm. the contemplative origin and roots of this tradition mm. that will never, if truly engaged, feel like plateau, mm. right? Because it's always arriving us in the absolute non-conceptual immediacy of life, right? which is always new, always new, always new. But plateau can quite, I mean, I've gone through it many times where it's just like, oh, more nuance about pubic bone and tailbone. And, but you know, here's my heart like cracked open as to why am I here? Who am I, right? Um, so I think, I think when, when that plateau can be a springboard to going deeper into, into whether it's the meditative aspect of the tradition mm -hmm. or the contemplative heart of this tradition that's when it becomes ever i think enriching mm. yeah i think the word that really struck me was self-inquiry mm -hmm. mm -hmm. self-inquiring through this which is in alignment with self-reliance mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. it's, it's the the beauty thank yeah. you yeah really beautiful so good prompts my final question oh. for every person who's yeah. been on this podcast is what's one golden nugget of wisdom that you would offer someone upon the walk of life? One of the, I think, practices or insights that is, that is most alive for me, particularly in here in the Kali Yuga, Mm. But both globally and personally, is how can we make or engage the afflictions we experience as the path? So common to engage practice in a way to not have to feel certain things, mm -hmm. right? Not to feel the whole raft of troubling emotions or sensations or relationship complexities, but reorienting to practice where whatever arises, right, is the path. So let's say self-inadequacy or fear or jealousy arises to actually see that as the teacher mm. and the highest teaching for that moment. So here I am, let's say, overcome with whatever afflictive emotion, let's say inadequacy or just lack of sense of self, right? Arriving in the somatic feeling of it, the um, sensation of it, turning towards it rather than trying to use practice to get rid of it. And in that gesture of turning towards Noticing that what seems so fixed and so, so ominous and so troubling 
maybe nothing other than my own life force, right? Mm. And the current expression of my own vitality. So that kind of reorientation to the, it's very alchemical again, of whatever rises as the path is an incredibly liberating gesture mm. in that we're no longer using our practice to try and achieve some rarefied state, but we're using it to meet everything that rises, whatever arises, eyes wide open, heart wide open, mm. as the teacher. Mm. And then, of course, there's a whole vast tradition of Tantra and Hatha Yoga that will give great clarity into how to navigate those tremendous waters. But the waters are big right now. And so I think that's uh, one of the great gifts of these, te- of these traditions. Mm. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much for sharing mm. your, your deep, mm. deep well of knowledge and the love of yoga that is so clear through the, the heartfelt vibration you bring through your voice. It is an honor thank you to share with you this conversation. Thank you so thank much. You. Namaste. Yes. Yoga Revealed is honored to share the transmission of yoga from the very best of the best. If you enjoyed tuning in to the ancient knowledge of this practice from a more academia perspective, Naropa University is calling you with an undergraduate degree. I personally, Alec Michelle Rubin, embarked upon a master's degree that changed my life in pursuit of traditions of yoga and meditation while living in London. And it is an incredible way to access the deep-seated wisdom that lies within all of us and watering it with the intention of learning yoga from something that maybe your normal yoga class won't teach you. You can learn more by visiting naropa.edu backslash academics backslash bachelors backslash yoga. This is your brother, Alec Vishal Rubin, sending all the aloha and so much namaste your way for a beautiful day. Until next time, my friends, keep practicing and love life. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.